You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and with me today is... Mindy, Mindy Carney, to work with you is a dream. I know how hard it must be to put up with me. Mindy, Mindy Carney, you're the podcast queen. I could never do this podcast if it was only me. That was beautiful. It was? It was beautiful. Did you write that just for me? Funnily enough, I did not. No. <laughs> that was good. It was oh, something. That was good. You did well. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm not even going to say anything about it. I'm just going to come on yeah, here okay. and introduce our special guest that we have today, which is uh, Gina Rogers, who works with us on the digital learning team. She has a very particular set of skills, skills that she has acquired over a very long career, skills that make her <laughs> a dream for people like us. Hey, Gina, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. We brought you on to talk ELA stuff today, ELA and technology. Well, I'm excited to talk about ELA and technology. Gina's always excited to talk about ELA and technology. Gina used to be a high school language arts teacher. Is that right, Gina? That is correct. I was a high school language arts teacher for about 10 years before starting over here. And this is your second appearance on the podcast. It is? Nope. It is. I don't you think so. Mean. Oh, wow. Oh. oh, it is. One to one last year, right? So why don't we start with our, um, I have a little bit of follow-up for you, uh, Mindy, right. and for Gina too, because I have a couple of uh, podcast stories to share with you. Okay. Lay it on me. All right. So here's the first one. Our good friend, Beth Swantz, who has also been on the podcast at the iTech one-to-one conference, uh, was working with some teachers, and I will reserve their names just to protect the innocents. But uh, she happened to, uh, at the end of a PD session, say, hey, does anybody listen to the EdTech Takeout? And a few hands went up. Hmm. And, yeah, I know. And so she said, what do you guys like about the EdTech Takeout? Oh, and no. the first the first person <laughs> she asked said, well, you know, I really just like the banter between Jonathan and Mindy. Oh, Really? So they, I think the content that we talk about is irrelevant. People just want to hear <laughs> they just us fight. Hear us argue. Yeah, I think so. That's yeah, right. we hear that a lot. Actually, I would concur with that. I was there when this <laughs> happened. Uh, I think that actually the comment was that they really appreciated how Mindy put you in your place. <gasps> is that really what was said, Gina? Is that the truth, or are you just being nice to me right now? I'm just being nice. To you. Oh shoot. All right. I'm glad you're just being nice. Um, okay, so podcast story number two. I was talking myself to a couple of uh, teachers, and we were actually we were instructional coaches, and we were just uh, running through some uh, some new things, some ideas, some things they want to experiment and play with. And at the end, they were like, "Okay, so is there anything else new? What what's what's your tech nuggets for this week?" Oh, so we're we're getting the vocab out there as well. Really? So, huh? Yeah. They want to know what's what's new, what's hot, what's interesting. Right. And, uh, yeah, so they call them the tech nuggets. Oh, you're developing new n- nomenclature. Yeah. I think so. We're becoming trendsetters. You are. You're changing the vernacular. Mm. Wow. Big words from Gina today. Our podcast is not usually this articulate. Uh, vocab lesson in here, too. Thanks for making us sound smarter out there, Gina. Appreciate it. All right. Those are good stories. I thought so. Yeah, thanks for sharing those. Um, I was uh, telling Jonathan this, Gina, before you came on air with us that um, like maybe like two weeks ago, one of my friends on Facebook posted um, a kind of like a polling question of sorts, seeing if um, any of the other parents on Facebook, I guess, had students that were being taught keyboarding. Did you, were you taught keyboarding? Because then Jonathan and I kind of talked about this. Did you have to take a keyboarding class when you were a kid? Um, not when I was, well, okay, let's think about this. Um, 
I do, yeah, remember um, at good old St. Mary's in Manchester doing um, like a basic keyboarding type thing with our, our media center mm-hmm. time. Right. And so, right. you know, like it would be AAA, SSS. D, 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 or whatever, you'd kind of go through home row, and then eventually you'd get to where you were, I guess, actually composing words or whatever. And then, you know, I took touch typing, oh, when I was in high school. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, I think I really just learned to be more proficient with it by doing it. And you see, that was that was totally my side of the argument, too, because um, I did, I don't remember getting any formal keyboard practice. And I think I just learned to type just by using computers more, mm-hmm. I guess, or using keyboards more. So it was kind of almost through osmosis or some strange uh, black magic that I learned to type a little bit. So never learned to formally type. But uh, my wife is one of those people that, you know, she sits down, her left index fingers on the F, the right index fingers on the J, and she could happily tap away and type with like paper over her hands like a blind typist and be able to do it um, perfectly well yeah I um, I you know I hear lots of people I, I have had lots of teachers I think ask to like you know what's a great typing program out there keyboarding and I don't know I'm always kind of torn about it because I do like I'm one of those typers I you know my first keyboarding class was in third grade and I think I took keyboarding every year until I graduated from high school which obviously was kind of silly because by fifth grade, I was a pretty proficient typer. Um, But I just wonder, like, all of that time that I spent learning how to keyboard, just think, what else could I have been learning during that time instead of taking the time to, you know, have words dictated to me and I type them down? Yeah, I kind of felt like that as a a teacher as well. It's like, you know, I did do some typing practice with my kids when I taught fourth grade and other grades as well. And it was like, you know, this is good practice for them, I guess. But at the end of the day, are there other things that we could be doing and getting through instead of this? and Or doing something that involved typing but was actually using technology for something else? Then, yeah, I don't know. It It's a tricky one, um, especially when you start to look at common core standards that have got typing included in the standards. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, that puts extra pressure on teachers, I think. Yeah. Well, and it's just, I mean, I know how efficient I am when I'm typing too. So I kind of understand like the more efficient I am, the more I can get complete in my day or whatever. But also my typing skills do not fall over into my iPad skills because I don't put my fingers on the home road to type for an iPad. Like that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So I, I just wonder how long we're actually going to have keyboards around. Like, if, if, are those going to go away eventually? And then will typing just be something that was a, you know, old skill that we don't teach anymore because kids are just speaking and it's just typing for them. I mean, we already have that capability. So, yeah, I mean, I was thinking that same thing. I was like, I didn't know how long the keyboard would, you know, be around in, you know, what we know of as a computer today. However, you know, I kind of... Uh, part of me, I, I guess I'm torn on the issue because I, I can see, um, you know, like we have to prepare kids for what is going to be the future, but then we also have to prepare them to live in the world as it exists today yeah, too. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, like I, I think sometimes, um, doing some of those tasks, those like higher order type of tasks that you were talking about, um, are more enjoyable, you know, when they have a certain degree of proficiency with right. the keyboard. So mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know, I am torn on the topic. You know, teachers have got to find extra time in their timetables if they're going to teach keyboarding. And then if they do teach keyboarding, what do they actually use for keyboarding? And I I ended up using something with my kids that um, I don't know if is as popular over here as it is in the UK, but we use something called the BBC Dance Mat Typing. Have you ever used that one before? Did you say Dance Mat? Dance Mat Typing is what it's called, yeah. Dance Mat. Yeah. Is it like Dance Dance Revolution? 
<laughs> no, it was it was a full kind of keyboarding program that that taught you um, things. It was really geared at elementary kids because it had all these animated like animals that would talk to you and sing to you. And I think the kids liked it in some ways because uh, all the animals had like British accents and different things like that. So it was kind of different for them. There was a, there was a few words that would come up they'd have to type, and it was spelled in the correct way, you know, with like O U R and things like that. Did you say the correct the American way? way right. <laughs> I was just seeing if you were listening. Uh, um, I was starting to fade off, but no, I did catch that. There, there was some words like that that, you know, was different for them that they had to try and um, type and spell, but it, it was fun. They had little um, songs kind of similar to the ones that we had at the start of this podcast today, and uh, they enjoyed it, but yeah, I don't know. Was it the best use of their time? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe the best compromise is just to like get kids involved in things where they're typing, where it's kind of engaging, but it's still practicing those skills. And hopefully then as they grow older, they're more comfortable and then they become more efficient. And I don't know, maybe that's the compromise. I just, I don't know. It's a tough question. Seems like we do a lot of compromising on these hot topics. I think so too. I know. Well, it's hard. There's, there's no right and wrong answers. That's true. That's true. Well, there's always a right answer. Usually it's yours. Is that what you're saying? Usually it's mine. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. So up next, our main course served piping hot is ELA Tech Tools with our guest, Gina Rogers. Ginger. Yeah. So ELA Tools. Um, So what do you guys want to talk about with them? Or like... What are you thinking here? Yeah, what's new, what's fresh, what's exciting? What are English language arts teachers really enthusiastic about using when they are looking at using technology in their classroom? Okay, so I guess there's a couple different ways to look at this as tools that are going to support uh, reading comprehension um, or reading fluency or um, you know, a variety of different um, aspects of reading. And then tools that support writing. Um, you know, I've got a few favorites or a few that I've been working with teachers with. Um, let me see. So one of the first ones that I'll talk about, uh, I guess would be News Ella or Tween Tribune. Um, and so both of those tools, I think there's a lot of people probably listening that have utilized at least News Ella. Um, but with that one, uh, what's nice about it is that it allows you to pull in, um, articles. And so they have, uh, articles. I think they gather them off of the AP. Um, and then they have staff writers there that rewrite them at a variety of different lexile levels. And so you can adjust those articles down or up to meet the individual, um, reading level of the different kids that are in your class. And so it will um, manipulate the complexity of the text. And then there's also, um, in a lot of the articles, a short quiz that's built into it as well um, for the kids to use to monitor their comprehension. Okay, so I have a question about that. So if you sign up as a teacher, then, you know, presumably everyone has kids reading at all different levels can you like have like a class of kids where you can assign this text to some kids and this text to some other kids and this text to some other kids so that you know it looks like they're all reading the same text but they're all like on different levels is that the kind of deal you do it so that's kind of in the paid side of this particular text or this particular tool um and that's in that binder option and so it allows you to create like different little binders for the kids and then assign articles to them um, at the level that they need to be manipulated at. And are these articles like, um, are they updated often? Is it like a daily thing or is it a few times a week? Or Almost daily. I mean, how current are they? Yeah, almost they're daily. very current. Almost daily. They have a new article that is on there. So um, I don't know if we pulled it up today. I imagine they probably have something about the debates from two days ago. Yeah. And I always um, liked, cause you can sign up for email notifications so you can get it right away in the morning to see whether or not there's an article there that you feel like is something that you want your students to read about. And I always thought that was kind of a nice way without actually having to go into the website and see what was going on that day. 
um, to get the notifications was kind of nice for me because then I could see, you know, what was on the front page of Newzella for the day. So are these uh, both kind of like freemium tools? I mean, could you could you get by with using the free versions or are they kind of limited? I mean, what do you, what's your opinion on that? I don't know. I guess I would say that you could probably get by for a while with the free version to make sure that yeah. it's something that you actually like. Like, for example, um, I have one school that I work with that was looking at possibly purchasing the paid like site license for this particular tool. And they just decided that they really felt like they needed more time with the free version to make sure that they were ax or they were absolutely maxing out the capacity of the free version before moving into um, that paid realm. And so they also have in their like text sets, which are kind of interesting. I think that, you know, in the, um, Iowa Core, the Common Core, there's also um, a standard in there that talks about making comparisons across um, multiple texts. And so these texts are kind of organized thematically or, you know, by a topic. Um, and so then the, t- the kiddos can read through those and then try to draw connections between those two articles in a piece of writing or something that they produce for you. And is Tween Tribune set up that way, Gina? I hadn't heard of that one before. So is it the same sort of thing where it's leveled by Lexile or – and is it mostly nonfiction then? Yeah. So it's mostly nonfiction. It's leveled by Lexile. You can manipulate um, that as well. There's a little bit more, I believe, on this one that you can do for free. Um, It's uh, backed by the Smithsonian. And so – like, for example, today, um, one of the articles is, would you eat pizza made by a robot? And you can manipulate the Lexile on that all the way down to 800 um, and all the way up to 1290. And just for the record, I would eat pizza made by robots. I'd eat pizza made by a lot of things just because I like pizza. Well, you heard it here first, folks. I wanted to give that exclusive right here on the podcast. Yes. Nice. (laughs) All right. So that was uh, news. Okay. I always say it wrong. I always say News ELA. I I don't know why I got into that habit, but some people do. So it's News Ella because we looked that up and we watched the video once, didn't we, Mindy? We did because you and I were arguing about it and who was right. Um, It's not about who's right, No, it's always about who was right. It was me. Okay. Yeah, we had to look it up. Yep. That's News Ella. And Tween Tribune. So those are... Definitely good options. And those are more on the uh, reading comprehension side of things. You got anything else on the reading comprehension side of things, Gina? Um, so another one that I really um, like is actively learn. Um, and just the reading or the reason that I really enjoy this one is that it allows it. It kind of has a different approach to um, supporting reading comprehension than what the previous two tools that I mentioned do. Um, they manipulate that text complexity via the Lexile. And so they, you know, take down the vocabulary a little bit and that um, manipulate the, stru- the sentence structure of the text to make it more accessible. Um, the philosophy behind actively learn is um, to leave the text intact how it is, but um, develop scaffolds in the text to try to enhance that comprehension. And so, for example, you can highlight and annotate all over the text um, and leave notes in there for the kids to see. And so, in a way, when you're not there, you can model good reading strategies, like, for example, questioning in the text. And so, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about this, or I'm wondering about this, I wonder what's going to happen next or making connections in the text. So as I'm reading this, I'm being reminded of this other text that we read or this other thing that we encountered. Um, the students also have a lot of support or aids that are built into that tool as well. And so there's a dictionary um, that is built right in there. So as the kids are reading the text and they're coming across an unknown word, they can highlight it and click on it, and then it automatically pops up a dictionary. Um, So, And they can also listen to the pronunciation of that word. Um, I'm always reminded of in my class, 
uh, we had once um, this word and every kid kept on calling it chouse and there was a lot of chouse happening in this text and I wasn't sure what they were talking about and eventually it dawned on me that they were talking about chaos um, it's just spelled kind of funny oh, so, that's kind of clever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it helps to hear the word pronounced yeah. so you don't come to class talking about chouse that was happening or what is this chouse that they're talking about Absolutely. So I know that Actively Learn then um, creates like these vocabulary lists for you as a teacher to kind of focus on. Is that where it comes from? Is there dictionary use? Yeah. So um, that's for more of the paid side, which I would, I, I want to really make sure that I highlight that there is just a lot that's built into the free side of Actively Learn, but that is one element of the paid side of Actively oh, Learn yeah. is yeah. that... Um, if the teacher is on that paid version, it will um, record uh, all the different lookups that the students have been um, executing with the with the vocabulary tool. And then any of them that are being looked up, I think it's more than five times or more than six times, um, they'll highlight those words in red. And so it's just kind of a little visual cue to the teacher to... Um, make sure to use those on a word wall or use those in a vocabulary list that particular week or make sure that you're going back and reteaching that word or spending some time on that word. So can you talk about the types of texts that you are able to manipulate and, and use in Actively Learn? Yeah, so um, there's a ton of text that's out of copyright so that are that's part of that um, like Project Guggenheim type of text. Yeah. Um, they also have a significant amount of, um, nonfiction that's in there from a variety of different sources. I've seen stuff from like time for kids and wonderopolis and things of that nature in there. Um, so a lot of nonfiction built in there, a lot of, um, out of copyright fiction that's built in there as well. They also have kind of an interesting, um, pay structure for their paid content and you kind of rent um, texts that are not outside of copyright that they've come to an agreement with the publishing houses to use um, and their pricing on those, it varies. I've seen everything from like 33, 33 cents per copy up to about 350 per copy. Um, and that just... It allows you to, like if you're doing literature circles, for example, in high school, and you want to keep your rotation of um, texts a little bit fresher and not invest in um, a set of texts um, that are going to be kind of out of date or the kids don't want to read in a year, um, it just allows you to do that a little bit more, um, more frequently. So how long do you get those texts for if you rent a text? Is it like... A week, a month, uh, six months? Or? Uh, their standard rental time is, I believe, three months. Um, and okay. I think that that is, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, um, that's from the time that you crack the text open to start working with it, to start like yeah. marking it up and whatnot. So like, I think in theory, you could kind of rent all your texts at the beginning of the year or have them all lined up. But once you start working with it, that's when you're three months goes into effect. And you can put your own text in, right, Gina? So you can import stuff? Yeah. You can import stuff. And so you can bring in your own news articles that you found on from online sources like uh, the New York Times, or you can use uh, song lyrics I've used before. Um, and it cleans them up. It takes all of the ads and the pictures and all of that stuff out of there and just makes it a nice, clean copy for the kids to work with. Um, the kids can also manipulate the text too. So it uh, looks like, like it uses that dyslexic or open dyslexic font as well. So they can turn that on and off. Kids can highlight and make their own notes in the text. They can make the notes that they create public or um, they can make them private and then only the teacher will see those notes. And then the teacher can also embed inside of the text questions, like comprehension type of questions or extended thinking type of questions. Um, 
And uh, they can align those to standards too. And there's the built-in grading rubric. So Gina, this is uh, this is something that Mindy and I have a little bit of an understanding of because I know you've showed us actively learn before, but uh, it's something that we're piloting a little bit with some of our blended learning schools that we've got working at the agency. Is is that is that pilot started yet? Has anybody started using it yet, or has it not really been rolled out yet? Yeah. So we have um, started working with our four pilot sites. Um, so, and they are all schools that have been involved in um, the blended learning program here at Grantwood in some capacity. And so um, they also are schools that have um, one-to-one technology. So each of the um, kids have their own device there um, at those sites. And so they have started working with the, the teachers have been um, enrolled in a, a trial and for the year, I guess the trial last um, version or pro version of actively learn. And so a um, couple features that they get outside of the free features, which are basically everything that I've mentioned up to this point, um, is that they can collaborate with teachers on their team um, and collaboratively create assignments and bed questions and notes in there and those types of things. And so it's really nice if you are a teacher who's part of a, a like um, like content area grade level team, like an eighth grade literacy team or a ninth grade literacy team, that you can collaboratively work with your PLC to create these assignments. And um, there's also a feature too that the instructional coach that's working with those um, district or with those teachers is able to go in and see the types of questions that the um, teachers are asking um, to provide them coaching um, just about how do we structure good questions? Is this really getting to the the level of learning that you want your students at? And those types of questions. Mm, that's nice. Perfect. Yeah. I have one question before. Um, I don't know if you're about done talking about actively learn, but before we switch over to anything else, um, how low does the text go and actively learn as far as, I mean, I know you can bring your own stuff in, but is it possible for elementary teachers to be using actively learn or is it more just of a secondary intermediate kind of tool? Um, for some of the nonfiction stuff, I think it would be applicable. Like that Wonderopolis stuff seems to be written at kind of a second, third grade level. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, um, there are some, uh, fiction texts that they tag. They only do tagging down to third grade. Um, but I do kind of like, I wonder a little bit about the, the tagging that they've done on some of those texts. Um, like Aesop's Fables, for example, uh-huh. will show sure. up there um, as being like a third grade type of a text. Um, I would say that if a teacher that was in elementary was thinking about using it, they would definitely want to make sure that they, um, you know, are previewing that text to make sure that it's, it's you know, grade level appropriate for sure. the kiddos. Sure. Okay. Thanks. All right. So if you haven't guessed already... Gina is to actively learn as Mindy is to seesaw. seesaw. Yes. <laughs> is my analogy for the day. <laughs> your analogy. Nice. I was hoping I was hoping Gina would bring in an analogy today to help explain something. So I should have maybe mentioned that before, Gina. Like if you could work in an analogy today that has something to do with the Macarena or something like that. I you know, I mean, I, I don't want to put the pressure on, but I would really love to hear an analogy. Let's not go down the Macarena road yeah. again. Yeah, well, I feel like it's just such a multi-purpose analogy maker. You know, yes. I can make almost anything fit into learning the Macarena. Although, what you shared with me the other day, Mindy, kind of disturbed me. I guess I never really listened to the lyrics <laughs> of that song. <laughs> yeah, so, little backstory. So, Gina um, often does these analogies of how you can learn something or something can be applied. And so... One day we were sitting in some sort of professional development um, session and she was talking about how if we would have put that together with the Macarena and talked about learning the different steps of the Macarena and then applying it and then practicing it kind of an I do, we do, you do sort of thing, I think is where you were going with it. But anyway, so that's been our ongoing joke. Well, then um, the other day I there was like this BuzzFeed something about the words of the Macarena, which I hadn't really ever thought about either. And I sent it to Gina and I think it makes you think about the Macarena in a different 
in a different light when you actually read the words. People are Googling that as yeah. you speak, Mindy. It's not terrible. So be careful it's not how far terrible. You go with this. Yes, it's not terrible, but it's definitely not. It's maybe just an enlightening moment to learn about what the Macarena is actually about. So, yes. All right. So, uh, in case I cut all this out later, uh, why don't we move on to our next ELA tool? All right. So, um, let's see. I guess I'll do two that are um, just fast writing ones. Um, they're both by, a, um, I guess, a company or a group that's called SAS Curriculum Pathways. Um, and they have, if you just go to SAS Curriculum Pathways um, or Google that, they have a lot of different types of online tools that are completely free um, that are multi-platform in a lot of cases. So they have like a Chrome app or they have a um, iPad app or whatnot that can be downloaded. Um, the tool that the two that I've been interested in or looking at um, lately is a suite of tools um, and SAS curriculum pathways called Writing Navigator. Um, so that's one of them. And so Writing Navigator has several different tools built into it that helps you um, structure writing. And what's kind of neat about it is that um, it kind of gives you like these building blocks for writing um, and talks about, walks you through, okay, so what seem to be some of the main ideas that you want to talk about in this piece? Kind of jot those down and then it leads you to, so what are some supporting details or some things that you want to make sure to add in about those main ideas? And so it gives you other blocks that you fill those things in um, as well. And those blocks are completely manipulative on the um, on the screen or on the tool. And so like you can reorganize and move things around um, and just kind of be a little bit more free in um, the construction of writing. Um, the other one that's pretty neat that was put out by SAS um, as well is actually a Google Doc add-on. Um, and so if you go into any Google Doc and it's in your add-ons menu, it's called SAS Writing Revisor. Um, and so that just scans your writing um, for a variety of different um, aspects. And so things like sentence clarity and economy, um, it looks for cliches and jargon and writing and things like that. And so it's a good like first line of defense if you're having it before you have students go into peer review to just go through that. And there's a lot of different um, criteria that it can scan for. So you can pick and choose like two or three things that you want the writing to be scanned for. Yeah, I'm looking at this uh, SES Writing Navigator iPad version here. And uh, so just looking at some of the screenshots because uh, they're talking about pizza, actually, as uh, one of their writing things. So, uh, But over towards the end here, it, you know, it does have that kind of proofreading thing, like you said, where there's buttons on here. It says check for homophones, check for repeated words, locate missing words, check capitalization, check punctuation. So... I, I like the sound of that. I haven't ever tried it, but um, I'd be excited to try that one. Looks yeah. Good. And right now, I mean, SAS at the top of their website is like touts the fact that their stuff is free, which there's a lot of tools out there that do like kind of similar things to this that are not free. Like, for example, um, Turnitin was one that we used a lot. And yeah. that has a plagiarism checker aspect to it as well but it also did do some scanning for grammar and things like that too and just writing style um and so that's yeah i think that if you can use that to maybe fill in some of those or use sas to fill in some of those holes it might make a lot of sense everybody likes free stuff yeah who doesn't i know it uh, I guess the last one that I'll mention is one that is brand new to me as of yesterday that I still need to dig into a little bit more, but I was thinking of it in terms of blended learning. It might be um, pretty nice. It's that literacy de design collaborative. Um, and so what it appears to allow you to do is to create uh, different writing tasks and modules, like kind of self-paced modules for the kids around those writing tasks and give them very specific uh, rigorous um, types of writing that they will be executing. And so, again, that's brand new to me. Um, actually, yesterday in the LCI session, that was one that Sarah 
um, Shul shared um, from Solution Tree. So I'm excited to jump into that one a little bit more. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm looking through these and one of the things that pops out to me from, I guess, a lot of these tools, and I mean, this is indicative of, you know, everybody's a reading teacher type of thing, is that, you know, I think there's definitely some cross-curricular type of, um, you know, uses for some of these, whether you're using like Newsella in social studies or whether you're using like the writing navigator to, you know, go through some, I don't know, report you're writing for, I don't know, for something else. But, you know, I can see a lot of cross-curricular connections with these tools where they not exclusively for ELA teachers, but, you know, science teachers and social studies teachers or, you know, other teachers could uh, could use some of these with their kids too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about it with, re- with reading comprehension, a lot of times um, one of the, I guess, barriers that people face um, from being able to comprehend part of a text is just their lack of background knowledge or their lack of schema that's built up around that particular topic. And so I just think like, especially for an area like science or something like that, if a kid's walking in cold and has absolutely no idea about whatever concept, being able to somehow help them fill in those holes a little bit. Yeah. To use those context clues and the ways to, you know, attack the text a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And on a side note, I just feel like that's kind of the direction that text is going to go in the next probably 10 to 15 years. We're going to see text that is a lot more interactive in element. I mean, and I'm hearkening back to talking about actively learn. I guess I should probably sure. preface that a little bit. Um, but having text that is a little bit more interactive, that's annotated, that um, has that feel to it. I mean, we saw it with the debate. Um, transcripts that were highlighted and annotated by yeah so mindy if you followed npr you'd know about that i don't listen to npr what i don't listen to npr i do sometimes read isn't there like an npr ed or something like that yeah yes i do yes it's not just radio not just radio i prefer to listen to music as i drive Okay, so lots of uh, <laughs> lots of great tools there, Gina. Um, I feel like ELA and you know reading and text based tools is just really ripe right now for a lot of innovation and a lot of the great new tools and things that are coming out are kind of focused on ELA or on the other side of things some kind of creation type of tool. But yeah, I think it's an exciting uh, an exciting time for for ELA teachers and people who use electronic text. Yeah, this is good stuff. I can't wait to kind of look at um, those last two a little bit more because I don't know much about them. So thanks, Gina. Thank you, Gina. Gina's Gems. All right, so that brings us to the next part of our show, which is my favorite part of the show. It's Tech Nuggets. And Wiley, do you want to go first today? Okay, so my first tech nugget is a new app from Apple, which is called Swift Playgrounds. And this is something that kind of only officially came out when iOS 10 came out for iPads. And it is another coding app for iPads. This The name Swift Playgrounds is because of uh, the programming language Swift, which is what Apple developers use to program Apple TV apps, iPhone apps, iPad apps, and Mac apps. So this app is designed to help introduce students to um, coding with a specific programming language. So sometimes we talk about these kind of if this, then that, kind of dragging block type of coding things. This is a real programming language that the students can be introduced to and learn. The app is kind of split into two parts. There's kind of a tutorial type of part where it will walk you through these things where you have to guide this character around the screen using different blocks of code. And the other part is uh, challenge-based activities where you have to solve a puzzle with uh, some code of some kind. So I think it's really interesting. I've been playing it for a little while. I've enjoyed uh, 
learning something new from that. It is a little restricted in terms of the number of devices that can access it, though, and I don't exactly know why this is, but you do need, um, I believe, like an iPad Air or later, or an iPad Mini 2 or later, and they have to be running iOS 10. So if you've got iPad 2s or 3s or even 4s, Unfortunately, they will not be able to run Swift Playgrounds, even if you can run iOS 10, because there's something in the hardware that uh, stops that. But if you have a compatible device, then um, this is uh, definitely worth a look. And if you're looking for new coding apps to try on kids, then this would be a good one. It's a little text heavy in terms of, um, you know, some of the instructions and things. So you're probably not going to do it lower elementary. Definitely going to be like fourth, fifth grade upwards, I think, just because there's a bit of reading to do in terms of how to learn how to do some of this code. But I like it, and I think it's um, it's a good option for schools who are using iPads. Mm, good one. What have you got, Mindy? Um, I actually have an old one, but I never hear anybody talk about it, and so that's why I wonder if people even know about it. And it's an app called Five Dice, and um, so it's a math app. Um, and what I like about it is that it's pretty open-ended. So the way it works is that you have, um, five dice and you choose whether you're going to be adding or subtracting. Um, you can do multiplication and division. You can do multiplication division with parentheses. And then there's another level as well. And so you choose, uh, your, um, how, how you're going to solve the problem. Okay. So once you choose that, then you tap the screen and then the dice all spill out onto the screen. And then you use those dice to create a number sentence that will equal the target number. And you can use like two dice to make like, if you get a six and a five, you don't have, you don't have to add six and five. You can make the number 65. And so you can um, use both adding and subtracting to get to your target number. And that's what I love about it is that it's really open ended. So kids could sit and play and kind of mess with numbers and figure out those relationships between numbers and how to make it work so that they all equal that same um, number at the end. And what's really nice is that it also has, um, if you, I don't know if you swipe it, I don't remember. I think you swipe it and then it'll give you a whiteboard for you to write on as well in case you need a place to kind of figure out where you're at in your um, number sentence. Yeah, I also like that app. You showed me it before uh, we recorded this episode, and uh, it was new to me for sure. Um, you know, there's so many apps out there that are like drill and kill type of apps right. where they're like either flashcard things or they're just, um, you know, they're just not very, they're not encouraging the kids to do a whole lot of things other than memorization. So this one um, definitely works more to make them think about their math a little bit more. That's yeah, a so, good one. Yeah, good one. Oh, it's me again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's how this works, I think. <laughs> okay, so my second tech nugget today is a site that I don't know how to pronounce the name of. So did you see that on the notes there, yeah. Mindy? How would Vidivo you pronounce that? Vidivo is how I would pronounce it. Vidivo. Vidivo. I like I like that. I don't know if I would have said that, but yeah, let's call it Vidivo. And Vidivo is a website that has free stock footage and motion graphics. So I came across this recently... Um, because I was working with um, Marion Independent School and we were looking at uh, green screen. And I'm always looking for ways that teachers can have free media to put in the background of a green screen, either as a video or an image. And this site, what came across um, in some of my research, is really very good. I like it a lot. So uh, the footage on there is 100% free. Okay, So there's nothing on there that you can pay for even if you want to. Um, there's two different types of licenses for the videos they have on there. One is from the Vidivo people themselves. It's the standard license. And if you use that one, you can download the clips and use them in whatever you want, anywhere you want, and you don't have to cite the source or anything else. The other clips, I think, are from users who upload videos to the site. And those clips are Creative Commons 3.0 licenses. So you do have to uh, attribute the person who you uploaded the clip, but you can still use it freely uh, wherever you want, as long as you're not distributing these clips to other people. 
So I think it's a really interesting site. It's fresh. They've got a great variety of different uh, videos that you could use for green screen or just like, you know, B-roll stock footage stuff. Uh, you want kids to do more with uh, video, then, you know, sometimes it's hard to go out and find mm-hmm. video of what you want. Then, you know, you could just come here and find that. They say they have new clips every week and they are based in the UK, so they must be good. Absolutely. Pardon? Yeah. No, I like that. I think it's, um, the images are just, you know, like I use Pixabay so much and I'm starting to see those images like all over the place. And so it's nice to have a different resource to go and, and pull some stuff yeah. from too. So, and sometimes you go to places like if you only go to the one site like Pixabay or whatever else and you're searching for something, you see the same photos and videos every time and you're like, well, I've already used that one. Yeah. I just want something different. So yep. it's good to have a few of these in your, in your toolkit. Um, so it's Vidivo and uh maybe it's definitely worth a look. <laughs> maybe it is. Well Vidivo. Yeah, it's maybe Vidivo. Yeah. I think <laughs> Gina, be... how would you pronounce that? Oh, I would do Vidivo too. Okay. Like video but vo. Yeah, right. It could be Videvo. Vidivo, or... it could be Vidivo. Vidivo. Or... Oh, you said it was based in the UK. Yes, it was. Why are you asking us it to is. pronounce it? <laughs> <laughs> Am I the expert on all things UK? Well, I would think uh, so. Yeah, just like you're the Minecraft expert, Mindy. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, so my next one is actually random, like a random number generator. Um, and this might seem kind of odd, but I used a random number generator app in my classroom all the time. Um, and the one that I found that I have now uh, is was actually a dollar. I never pay for anything, but this I did pay for. And... Uh, in this app, it has like dice that you can use for games. You can, uh, it has like a flip a coin option. You can do like decks of cards where you pull cards. And then the random number generator part is the part that I probably use the most because, um, you could set a range of numbers. So I would have students, uh, and I had first and second grade students. So my, with two grade levels in one class, sometimes my, um, outliers were pretty far apart. So one of the ways I could have students kind of working together, uh, but yet differentiate their level is by using a random number generator. So I would set the ranges for different numbers for different students. And then they would like tap the random number generator to get two different numbers. And then they input those into story problems. So the kids could still work on the same story problems but everyone might have a different story problem, but it would meet their level. So um, it was kind of tricky to first get started because I had to figure out those like the, what story problems would work and then using random number generators. But it helped me differentiate without a lot of, um, I don't know, without a ton of work like I probably would have had to do. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So the other one, and I didn't use this random number generator, but it's the one I have now, like I said. But this one has a deck of cards in it even. So students could even like pull cards and make um, number sentences that way to practice facts. I always hated skill and drill um, practicing of facts. Uh, so any we use lot, we use cards all the time, like decks of cards. And the kids always thought it was a little bit more engaging, I think, to be able to never know what was going to come next and to kind of move numbers around and make their own facts and things like that. So a way of practicing facts without the, you know, same old, same old flashcard kind of thing. All right. I like it. So I'm just going to put Gina on the spot here since she is guest on the show. Do you have uh, anything new or interesting other than those amazing things you've already shared that you would like to uh, pop into the Tech Nuggets? So one thing that I added on there, and I think it was pretty specific to a a question that I had um, a little while ago. And if I could remember who asked me this question, it would be really um, impressive. So I could pass this on. But I was showing (laughs) a tool called uh, Video Notes, um, which allows you to bring a, a YouTube link into a a different little portal thing. And then, um, you can timestamp and take notes as you're watching. And so, um, just a different way of making sure to, um, 
keep engaged in some video learning. Uh, one question that I had with that, though, is, oh, can you share this and collaborate with another person um, on that tool? And um, that, as far as I know, no, but I did come across this one called Turbo Note um, that does allow you to do that. And so it's a little Chrome extension. And what it um, allows you to do is you can kind of take notes um, and a side panel on a YouTube video or a, um, a Vimeo video or any other video hosting type of site. Um, and then it allows you also to uh, create kind of this like, I don't know, like event is what they call it or like maybe just kind of a chat room, if you will, um, where you could collaborate with another person or other people start the video or sync the video to start in real time and then have like a conversation about that video as you're watching it. So I kind of thought for like flip learning type stuff, that might be kind of interesting. Um, yeah. If you had a group of students that, um, you know, were all going to view this video in real real time, if you will, um, at the same time, um, and kind of take notes and collaborate on it in that way. I like it. Yeah. It's good I to have too. that collaboration yeah. feature and, uh, and put that in there. It reminds me of another tool that does that, but the name escapes me. Maybe we'll link to that in the show notes if I remember what it is, but it was started with video something. It wasn't video notes. It was, it was a, a website that let you collaborate and have comments underneath the video and uh, timestamp them as well. But I don't remember what it was now. So. Yeah. And apparently there's a transcripting feature that's also now in beta in this video notes. Um, and so it allows you to create a transcript of the captions and find specific points of the video according to keywords. Hmm. That is interesting. very interesting indeed. Yeah. Another Gina gem. Gina. All right, so I'm just going to um, trail our next episode, actually. We don't do this very often, but uh, Mindy and I are taking the podcast on the road, and that the next episode that we are going to record is going to be recorded uh, live at iTech 2016 in Des Moines, Iowa, where there will be some podcast powerhouses at the podcast pavilion. Uh, the Dads and Ed podcast are going to... Um, be doing a podcast from iTech. So that's uh, Devin Schoening, Brent Catlett, and Josh Allen. They're going to be there doing their podcast, which is uh, very good. And I have appeared on there too. Uh, the Gaff Admins podcast is going to be at iTech 2016 too. So that's uh, Mitch Dauhauer, Lance Lennon, Carl Hauer, Phil Trimble, and Chad Frerichs. Those guys are all super intelligent guys who work on the Google Admins dashboard and they share their knowledge as uh, tech directors um, who work with that stuff. So they have a good podcast there if you want to go and check that out. And Gina, I believe that uh, Mr. Rogers is going to be there too. Is that right? Yes, the Mr. is going to be there with the City High Little Hawks uh, journalists and they're going to be um, contributing their podcasts also at the podcast pavilion. Yeah, so exciting times for um, podcasting, I think. It'll be good to uh, showcase some of this medium for uh, teachers. Um, Mindy and I are going to be presenting there, and so is Gina. Um, so we'll hopefully have lots of things to share from, uh, from iTech next time we record this episode. Until then, if you enjoyed the show, we very much love hearing some feedback and stories from you guys about what you like about the show. We shared a couple of those from the, the at the beginning of the show. Um, but uh, if you have anything else you would like to uh, share with us, you can reach us on podcast at gwaa.org. Mindy and I are on Twitter. I am at Jonathan Wiley. Mindy is Team Carney. And we should include Gina on there too. She is G Rogers 1010. 1010, ten. Ten, ten. yep. 1010. 1010, ten, ten, I like it. Um, so please keep in touch. And uh, until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. 